Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Thriving Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. Sherry. Have you ever asked yourself, why me? In fact, maybe you have asked yourself that this morning. Maybe you're going through something right now. I mean, we recognize that the country and the globe in general, we're going through some pretty tough times. But, you know, my concern is with you individually. What are you going through right now? And have you ever asked, why me? I know I have. And that's why I invited my friend, Dee Burgoyne. She is a compassion expert and author of 28 Ways of Compassion, which you'll want to stay tuned to hear a little bit more about what that's about. Dee challenges us in this conversation, not just through expertise and through passion, but through personal experience of her pivotal transformation in life from a struggling or surviving thought world to a thriving one. When she asked the question, why me? And was responded to with a question directed back to her. Why not you? Dear friends, in this conversation, we discover that whatever your disability is, be it financial, relational, emotional, physical, or spiritual, whatever that is, it is your gateway, your gateway to opportunity, your gateway to a life that thrives. And I pray that you choose that today. Please do lean in and listen now from my dear friend, Dee Borgoyne and compassion expert, why not you? My first question for you is what are you thriving in the thick of right now? (sighs) Uncertainty about literally everything. It feels like Mm -hmm. literally everything. Um, now, is that a comfy place for you or how do you do, how do you fare in that place? I think that you have, I had to find, find a way to feel comfortable with it. And I'll, I'll go back to the beginning of COVID. Yeah. That was when things became very, very uncertain. So in my mind, I, I basically just existed for those two weeks, you know, like the, two, what, the infamous two weeks. Like when was that? <clears throat> I was March? just like, that was in March. Mm-hmm. So for a little while, I just existed and I would say I was surviving and I felt like I was yeah. on hold and I wasn't doing anything intentional because I didn't know what was going to happen. Everything some, was like reactionary. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was like, what's going to happen with my business? What's going to happen with me? Who am I? Um, where is this going? Mm-hmm. Uh what's going to happen. And as it drug on and drug on, those questions got more and more profound. Yeah. Really, truly, what should I be doing? And I found myself grasping and jumping at different things, but then having to really take a look at myself and say, stop, just, just settle back and think. And like you had, we had talked about before, just listen, just be, Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. worry so much about do. Yes. Because I kept thinking, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing? And And that's that kind of unrest. Yeah. It's that frantic floundering when you start to feel like I've never drowned before. So I don't know what this is like, but you know, you see it on TV, the depiction of it where somebody's drowning and at the point where they realize they're drowning 
or they're about to drown, you can see the panic and you see the floundering and the flailing start to happen. And so that's kind of, you know, a parallel psychologically what, what's happened with a lot of us when this first happened and that unfamiliarity hit and this kind of feeling like, uh oh, everything's going under, everything I've known is taken away. And we started floundering and flailing and trying to do, trying to just grasp onto something to stay afloat. Yes. And we were so used, I was so used to um, to-do lists and calendars and traveling and dates and all these things. And all of a sudden, they just started disappearing one after another. Poof, canceled, yeah. poof. And so it so wasn't what, so, so let much. me ask you this, Dee. What was being canceled for you? you speaking engagements? Speaking um, engagements, training engagements, Um and some of that has continued. I mean, the, there's I, I, I actually work a lot with um, diversity, equity and inclusion work. Okay. And some of that has been canceled in the last couple of months. So I'm re kind of regrouping. And I guess the word nowadays is reimagining who am I and what am I? And what I will say is that during this time, I think I was at the point of with, with the compassion work and compassion versus business and compassion business versus touchy feely. I was at a point of selling out right before COVID hit. Where uh, I, okay. Tell us more. Selling out well, what to whom? Selling it, <laughs> selling out to uh, the people who were saying to me that, um, you have that compassion work was too touchy feely and that you couldn't make a livelihood out of that. And you needed to make more broaden your horizons more. But what I found having all this time is that I, I, um, if I was going to do that, I'd be missing the mark. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And more and more on in social media and in books and in articles I'm reading this time right now has put an exclamation mark on the words loneliness and belonging and compassion yeah. and um, connectedness and inclusion in a yeah. way that makes it easy for me to combine all of those things and say that when the push comes to shove, the bottom line is that people once our basic human needs are met, that we have food and we have shelter and those kinds of things. Um, once those things are met, our desire is to be seen mm -hmm. and to be heard. Yep. I know you and I have talked about that. Mm -hmm. We want to be seen mm -hmm. and we want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of people aren't feeling heard. Mm -hmm. Feeling so listening and then hearing. Mm -hmm both hearing what other people are saying and we'll get to this, I'm sure later, but hearing what you're saying yeah, inside and yeah. what you're feeling, how you're being instead of yeah. doing. I've been working with a lady who does uh, somatic work, S-O-M-A-T-I-C. Maybe I'm not uh -huh. saying it clearly, but no, that's right. Yeah. Um, somatic. She's a somatic the body. therapist. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, and we have to listen not only to others, but we really need to start with listening to ourselves, which yeah, this, and this so, time has given us. Yeah, I want to back up to that, though, because you, you hit on something that is 
a fundamental prerequisite for what we're talking about. So you talked about several different things in there, and I'd like to kind of just um, draw a silver thread through there, through those things. So one of the things is if you come to a place of unfamiliarity, there is a temptation to distract yourself with the doing, right? And when we yes. Okay. And when we distract ourselves with the doing, it is then very both easy and tempting to what you referred to as potentially sell out something that is a passion or is a calling, however you want to put it for you of yours. And in your case, this work with compassion, which we'll dive into here in a little in a little while. But what's the what's the difference? What kept you from, you know, you go in, in, into this feeling of unfamiliarity and then this kind of uh, flailing and doing, bordering on potentially selling out. What was the catalyst for you that said, I know you mentioned some of these themes came up, but it has to be more than circumstances, my guess, D, that served as a catalyst for you to remain true to what you believe your life's work is as opposed to selling out. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I, I honestly believe the universe has put people in my path and things in my path that I continue to be curious mm-hmm. and I've um, participated in these last few months in many webinars and podcasts and um, free things that I've met the most wonderful people mm-hmm. who I, I, I would not have had the time to do that to the extent that I've been doing it. And as I was listening to some people, say I watched a webinar that was all day long and there was five or six speakers, there would be at least one person that I was going, oh, my God, I found you. You know, I, and, and I thought <laughs> it's, it's because the more specialized you get or the more, the more focused you get on one thing. That's not a broad subject. That's right. The harder it is to find your peeps. But the easier. And I say oh, that easier. because because the people who are not your people quickly and easily deselect themselves. Yes. Right? Because yes. your message is not for them. Whereas if you are broad, you can pull in a potential much larger audience, maybe of which to whom is unrelevant, irrelevant what you're doing. Yes. And they would, and they wouldn't follow through with that. Your work wouldn't have the impact that it would have upon an audience whose ears are ready to hear. Yes, exactly. It's like musicians who pander to what's popular right now. So they become that. And being an Air Force brat, I am really, really good and have always been really good at becoming what someone wanted and needed me to be to fit in. Mm. My whole life, I have been that way. A chameleon. (laughs) Do you see that as a gift or a curse? It's both. It's both. It's a strength. Uh, But at my age now, I'm 62. It is... It's really interesting. It's like, who am I if I'm if if there's nobody to tell me who I'm supposed to be, whether it's my employer or my father and mother or 
um, friends, when you know you're trying to find friends to belong with. Yeah, um, yeah. If all those things were gone and you were you were you, who is that? And I, it it's coming more clear to me. <laughs> you are right up my alley. Three things I want to say about that. One, I am I one of the books that I'm working on is about that, and it's essentially called Stripped. When you're stripped of all of the things that you think you are or that you think you should be or that the world thinks you should be what's left, right? So that's one thing. So I love that you're speaking that same language that tells me that I'm on the right track with that. Two, there's there's something really important that I heard you say that I know people are listening or are going to connect with. And that is that you said, and you mentioned this twice now that when you're at this place of unfamiliarity, you start to question who you are, right? And you don't really, not just you, D, but me, n- nobody really has anybody to tell them who they are. That That's where that listening and knowing who you are comes into play, right? But you can't do that unless you free yourself of distraction that happens when you're doing the floundering and the flailing, right? However, yeah. people are very quick to tell you who you are not, So, right. So like when people were telling you, you can't do this compassion work, that's too frou-frou. I have people tell me, what do you mean you can help people thrive in the thick of it? Um, yeah, it's called growing and prospering. It's not a new concept, right? Like, and that's what I do. I work, I work right up here on your mind to make your mind manifest into your reality. That's it. You work right in the zone of compassion and how that relates to how people relate to one another and how people relate to one another. Of course, we know impacts business. So my point is that people are quick to tell you when you have, it's it's like that is your indication that you've hit on a piece of who you are. When there is something that you want to do, that you know you want to do, that you feel compelled to do, that there's this message or this theme or whatever it is that keeps rising up within you and that's the path that you want to go. And then you have people naysaying to me, D, that's the clue that you found the it is when the naysayers start coming out saying, you can't yeah. do that. That's good to hear. You know, I've been working on this um, as a business on and off for for five to seven years. And what keeps happening is I make some headway in terms of um, building something. And then what mm-hmm. has happened is that I've been working with a company and they say, this is great. You're You're great at this or that or the other. Why don't you come to work for us? And Mm -hmm. so I have said, all my fear has come rolling forward and I've gone, oh my gosh, steady income. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What's that? A a paycheck. And every week there would be paychecks and stuff. And, and I've, and I've caved, I've done it. And my husband has told me, if you do that again, I'll divorce you because Ah. (laughs) he's so supportive and he sees in me what I can barely see. But the more I connect with people just beyond my, who the, the people who I, who I'm told, oh, you have to connect with these people and these people and these people, the more I'm just myself, the more I find people being attracted yes, to, yes, yes. to the conversation and doing things with and for me that I never could have imagined, that I never could have, yeah. like you said, I never could have asked them for it. Mm-hmm. Never but they're offering it. Yeah. <laughs> and right. 
that, because that you're is an amazing the, feeling. Yeah. Well, you're staying the course. You're staying true yeah. and not selling out. You're staying true to who you are despite the naysayers. And I keep bringing that up. I don't typically like to focus on negative, negative things. But to me, I see naysayers is not a negative thing. I think it's a positive thing because I think, again, it's that road sign that you are on the right path. It goes back to my little motto, which is be deliberate, look reckless, right? When you are deliberate about something, when you're committed to something, when you've found your it, you are going to look reckless to other people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I I hear all these certain voices in my head, you know, my father who was um, very, he had two jobs in his life. Mm-hmm. He worked for the Air Force for 20 years and he worked for the state of Nevada for 20 years. Wow. And he was so focused on security that, mm-hmm. that, and the other thing he did was he constantly was putting into my mind, you are the future executive. You're the future executive. Maybe I didn't want to be an executive. You know, here's <laughs> 21st birthday, a new right. briefcase with to the future exec on it. I, oh my goodness. So I just was, put into that and exact yeah. and, and compassion. And that comes from my, the compassion work is so deep within me yeah. um, and goes in so many directions. People get turned off by that word, but it really is about belonging and, and inclusion. And I'm getting teary, you know, overcoming mm-hmm. loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be huge connections. It can be, you walk in a bookstore and you smile at somebody and they smile back at you and there's a connection. And then you feel like, okay, I belong in this bookstore in this moment right now with this human being. Yeah. It doesn't have to be huge. That's, you know, that is such a beautiful key. I think so many times when we're looking for our it, instead of just living in it in the smallest, seemingly smallest of moments that, which actually we have zero, um, ability to see, nor do I believe, do we have a right to access how far reaching that little one small moment can be? I don't think that's, that's our business, right? Our business is right here in the here and now, for example, with you and I having this conversation, what happens after that, who this reaches, what that does in their life. I just don't have anything to do with it. That's, that's not up to me, right? Yes. But this is up to me. And so to be responsible and be faithful in that and to, um, not sell out. I love, I love that phrase. But a a couple of things that you just said that I I just need to stop you and ask you some questions. I have always, maybe one of the reasons that I've been so drawn to you is because of your natural gifting for compassion for others. And I have told people that before about myself, that I feel like I have a, I have a, um, just such a strong pull to um, loving other people that I just love them. And I love people who are deemed unlovable. Like that's just who I am. It's just in my blood. But somebody mentioned to me the other day that maybe it's the gift of understanding, Sherry, and maybe not compassion, but I don't know. In any event, I, I use that to say, that's why I was drawn to you because that's what I see in you. And so my question is, typically when there is something that is that in depth, it's not something that just happened on your professional career as an adult, right? It's not something that just came to light. It's something that you can trace its roots back to when you were a child. And for me, I look back and I remember like 
sticking up for the underdog and feeling bad for the the kids that were bullied or whatever, you know, and just having compassion for them. What was it for you? Wow. I I have to say that I I was born with a disability. Mm-hmm. And because of that disability, I believe that I'm um I can tend to be, or I am inside, very, very, very sensitive. And I pay attention to people around me. I'm the person in the room that's always looking around at everybody and how are they feeling and what's the vibe of this room and who needs to be drawn in and whatever. Uh, And part of that comes from the fact that goes back to the words you just used, understand. Mm. When you have a disability, the way that people react to you, it says a lot about human, just the human condition yeah. and about them. And mm-hmm. people who are confident in themselves um, tend to accept. It's about two things. One, understanding, like you said, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you watch a person who's very insecure in themselves and very um, uh, insensitive, and very uncompassionate, watch how they approach a person with a disability or any kind of difference mm-hmm. versus someone who is open and listening and mm-hmm. accepting and striving to connect with another person. I, I think I just learned as a young child, very youngest child about people. And I, I also, um, going back to your underdog, I had a younger brother. I have a younger brother who ha- has a learning disability. Mm-hmm. And he didn't speak till he was for, for late. He was de- a delayed speaker. But I, being the oldest child and all my wisdom and, and you know, control, <laughs> that's another problem, my control, right. um, would basically, he would go, and I would go, he wants a cookie. <laughs> I would understand what he was saying. And I think that's, that goes back to, I, maybe did you I'm ever wrong, throw but... him under the bus and say, no! he, just, he, he no. just admitted to something I did. <laughs> like the cat pointing to the dog. Right, no, right, right. <laughs> no, of course not. No. I do. I do. Um, you know, my career has been in, um, human services and my degree was in special education. There you go. Um, My initial work was with people with disabilities. Then I went into social work in a nursing home and then I went into human resources and human resources. If you do it right is all about the people and it's all about it's 99% listening. 99%. You mean you mean it's not ninety nine percent about all of these compliance boxes and regulation sheets that no, you have to have posted no. around an office space? No, if you do uh, the people part, we've then killed all, HR, haven't we? We have killed HR. I yeah. I hesitate to even say that I've worked in HR, but I am proud that I've had a couple of people CEOs say you're not like any HR person I've ever met. Um, but it, it isn't about what you see on the commercials with, you know, Paycom will do this for you. And here's how to manage your paperwork. If you manage, if you spend all your time with the people, 99% of your time, you won't have so much of that, That's right. the problems to work on. Mm-hmm. Is that how but, you position yourself when you uh, reach out to potential clients? Do you position yourself as a human resources uh, consultant? 
No, I, I say that I am a, um, a people person and that I am there to help, help them with their company culture. Okay. Basically, because it really is about company culture and company mm-hmm. culture is not what the senior leadership says it is, but they think mm-hmm. it is. They think it's what they put on their poster. Yeah. <laughs> but Let all me, you have to do is spend one day oh, walking around and listening when Here's nobody knows culture. who you are and right. you'll find, figure out the culture. Here's our culture. This is who we are. And and then you go and you ask an employee, what's your company culture? And they're like, huh? Uh, hold on. I have a handbook somewhere. Let me go look, right? When? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Let me go look on the wall. Right. Right. You know, it's amazing. The whole field is so fascinating because it it all comes back. People want a, a shotgun answer. They want an easy answer yeah. that they can flick a switch or have a new program. But it all comes down to the people and the connections and the communication and respect. And what's funny is some leaders will say, I can't get anything done. All these people have been in my office all day. (laughs) Right. Right. That's a good problem to have. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. So understanding and and accepting. So I want to ask you, who are the pivotal people in your life, Dee? What, well, one, what is your disability? And two, looking back on your childhood, young adulthood, adulthood, who were the people in your life that you encountered that changed your life because they were understanding and accepting of you? Uh, my disability, I was born without my left hand. Uh, I don't like to say I just have one hand. I I say I have one hand, right? You don't say I, I just have, I just have two hands, I just but you know, two. if a Mar- if a Martian dropped down here with three hands, they would say, oh, isn't it amazing what you get done with just two hands? Right. You know, <laughs> right. And yeah, I, 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 um, I had parents who were coached by my grandfather. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that my parents bless their little hearts Bless their little pea pickings, would have had the wherewithal to deal with me as a first child being born with a disability and what to do about it. But, but your my, grandfather did. But my grandfather did. He hmm. was a medical doctor. He was um, there when I was born. And he said, your daughter has one hand and you are not going to treat her any differently, That's any right. differently than if she had two. And yeah. I don't think if he hadn't been there, and constantly, constantly reiterated that message. Um, he mm. was he was my biggest cheerleader my entire life, and I didn't mm. even li- live near him because mm-hmm. um, he was in the army. They were in the army, and we were in the air force. But just his, not just I, I've that, eliminating that word from my vocabulary. Yeah, his presence in my life, even from across the world was more significant than the presence of other people who some of whom were right next to me. He mm-hmm. was, um, he, he's the one who pulled out the dictionary and said the definition of a handicap, read it. And it was a race or contest in which an artificial disadvantage is placed on a superior contestant to equalize mm-hmm. chances of winning. Okay, say and, that what break it break it break that down for us one okay. more time. Okay, a handicap, mm-hmm. if you think of horse racing, but then mm-hmm. apply it to life, it's an artificial disadvantage 
in the case okay, of horse so racing, a disadvantage it, that's not real. Yeah, an artificial disadvantage. Just, okay. just uh, society says this is a disadvantage because you're not yeah. like everybody else. Got it. An artificial disadvantage that is placed upon, and this is the part I like, a mm-hmm. superior contestant mm-hmm. <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in order to equalize chances of winning. Got it. In horse racing, they put, they add, they weigh everybody and they add weights to pe- to the horse and rider together that is underweight. Okay. Because they want all the, the way I understand it, they want all the horse and riders to be the an equal weight. So yeah. that equalizes the chances of winning. If you're a really tiny jockey on a skinny horse, you might have a chance, more of a chance of winning. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've shared that when I've done some, uh, October was National Dis- Disability Employment Awareness Month. And I typically get asked to speak, which I did um, virtually, um, mm-hmm. to people about people with disabilities. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I share. And a lot of people really like that idea. So I want to ask you a question, Dee, because I, well, one, because this is probably not a hard question for you, but two, if it were, I know that you wouldn't shy away from it. Uh huh. Um, so let's talk diversity, which we can talk diversity through disability, right? But mm-hmm. there's a, your grandfather said you're not going to treat her any differently. You're going right. to treat her the same. So what say you then about, about the, the cultural pressure to acknowledge, um, accommodate and, separate those with disabilities, because then is that not also treating somebody as though they are different? Well, there, the point of that is, I think what he was meaning was don't, don't give her a break and allow her. Don't limit your expectations. Don't limit, don't adjust your, well, don't accommodate your expectations to meet meet the fact that you think that she's less than because she's not. And I was one of the first kids um, after the the war, a couple of wars came along and they were really uh, the Korean war and the Vietnam war. They, a lot more prostheses were being developed because there was a lot of soldiers losing arms and legs. So mm-hmm. I was like the first or second. I think I was the second because I've met the first one lady at um, UCLA who was given a prosthesis. You're kidding me. I'm not the second you. woman, the second child, the second and you're, child. The sec- and you're only 62. And I'm 62. You're not 162. You're no. 62 and you were the second child yes. to be given a prosthesis. Now, how old were yes. you then when you got that? They gave it to me when I was just a toddler so that that could be part of my weight. And the pro- project was called the Child, the CAP Project, the Child Amputee Prosthetics Project. And they were checking to see if children could adapt really mm-hmm. early, like when mm-hmm. I was learning my balances and stuff, um, to a prosthesis. And my first prosthesis had this little tiny rubber hand on it and stuff. But, you know, accommodation is about um, providing kind of an equal playing field, but not doing it in a way that gives someone more than they they necessarily would have. Yeah. And and I also had to do the work. I mean, they put this prosthesis on me and they showed Mm -hmm. me how to use it, but I had to use it. in my real life to make it 
function for me. Yeah. Well, okay. This I love because this applies to so much of the work that I do with people. And um, when I, when I say that, you know, that your first, your foundational key to success, happiness, fulfillment, whatever your word is that you want to use fill in the blank there is to be honest with yourself. And um, so many times what we want to do is we get angry when it's weird. It's weird what I see happen. Um, We get indignant when other people think less of us yet far too often. And I'm not speaking specifically just to physical disabilities here. I'm talking with uh, uh, things that uh, people have given a name and a force to of things that come into our lives. And I mean, it could be from grief to anxiety to whatever it is. Yeah. How we don't want other people to, to judge us for that. We don't want other people to put limitations on us. We don't want other people to think less than, but just how often we put those limitations and those lesser expectations on ourselves. In other words, we give ourselves permission to fail and not to excel. And so I wanted to ask you about that. What are the moments in your life where you've been presented with that in your in your own mind like I can give myself a pass there because I have one hand mm-hmm. or I can not do that or I can do this the shortcut way because I have one hand. I uh-huh. mean Yeah, can you tell us from your perspective? Well, I I do things differently. Mm-hmm. It's that simple and I could choose going off what you said, I could also choose to say, all I ever wanted, I could make up this story in my mind, all I ever wanted to be was a brain surgeon, and I can't because I have one hand. So I'm going to think yes. of the one thing. Of, yes. I, I mean, I can't really think of many things that I can't do just differently. Yeah. And so it's, it is a matter, and, and I'm alone in that world every day. And I have choices every day. And it's not about someone doing something for me. It's about me looking out at my farm and saying, well, I'm not going to go trim a a bunny because I can't hold a bunny and the scissors at the same time. So, no, I go out there and it, you know, it's funny. It's like tiny children or, or animals. Mm -hmm. If you, um, I'm addicted to um, Dr. Pole. (laughs) Okay. If you if you amputate a dog's leg or a horse loses its eye or whatever, they just stand up, open their eyes, do whatever. And they say, "Okay, this is what is and this is the way I'll do things now. Yeah, they don't they don't angst over it and ponder it. And why me? And um, some people honestly are, are why me people. Yes. And it doesn't yeah. matter what it's about. I remember, I remember vividly when Katrina hit and they were interviewing people and some of the people had lost everything and they had nothing to begin with. And they mm-hmm. were saying, we are so grateful to be alive, yeah. that kind yes. of thing. And then in the midst of all those interviews, there was a woman who had a vacation home down there and it <laughs> was right on, right on the beach, you know, right where the hurricane yeah. comes in. And she was just absolutely apoplectic. And she was saying, why us? Why Mm. us? Wow. And all they lost was part of their home. They didn't even lose their whole home. 
but why you, us? Yeah. And, and I, so here's the thing. I have great, um, compassion for people who are why me people or why us people, because I can honestly say that all of us at some point have entertained that question in some mm-hmm. form or another, right? Some of us, it just can't, tends to get stuck like a, a broken record. Exactly. Right? And, and nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to feel why me all the time. It's a, it's a habit. It's a, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's nothing that can't be changed or altered. But my question to you is, what are the moments in your life, Dee, have there ever been any where you have thought, why me? And what did you do in those moments to learn about yourself, to grow, to thrive through that, as opposed to letting that um, de- debilitate you? I, or I'll try to be as honest as I can. I, I, I'll be as honest as I can. I honestly can't remember ever looking at my disability and thinking, why me? Because I think my, my answer before the question even would finish is why not me? Um, yeah. Oh, that's good. You know, why I, not me? Yeah. I, my daughter, a couple of quick stories. My daughter is 36 now. She had mm-hmm. cancer when she was 12. And, you know, I remember, <laughs> I remember her coming to my bed one night and she was crying and she never, she really didn't dwell a lot on the cancer thing. It was amazing. But she came to my bed and she crawled in and she was saying, you know, mom, why me? What, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Um, Why, why did I get this? What did I do? Mm. And it popped into my head like this. I said to her, Danae, I was born with one hand. Mm-hmm. What did I do? Mm-hmm. And it was like she accepted that. And it made so much sense to me. Um, if there was not to get wax philosophical, but if there was ever a reason to have had one hand, it was so I could say that to my daughter in that moment. That's what right. did I do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what did I do? And I, I also remember talking with a, um, a resident came up to me at a, uh, retirement community that I worked in for many years. He came up to me after we had known each other for years and he came up and he said, I've been wanting to tell you this story forever. He said, when I was a resident, there was a, a child that was born with one hand, just like you, just like you as a little boy. And I took, I took the baby to the mother and it was all covered with these little blankets and stuff. And the mother unfolded the blanket one piece at a time, the left, the right, the full blank. And she looked down at that baby and I really didn't, being a resident, I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, look at this. God knew just who to give to you to. And he said, he just burst. So whenever I see there's, there's a, a, a group that I watch on YouTube. That's a man who interviews Dis, dis, disabled kids, very severely disabled kids. And it, the video is just wonderful. Do you love him? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, just the way that he interacts with them yeah, and how special they are. And they all have special parents uh, yeah. and they have, those are very special kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, right. I, I watch those and they warm my heart. They warm mm-hmm. my heart so much. Mm-hmm. And those kids don't say, 
when he says, tell me, he'll say like, tell me, tell me 10 good things about you, which we mm-hmm. should all ask ourselves every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at yourself through the eyes of someone, you know, loves you completely, whether it's um, a higher power or God or your, or your brother or your best friend, someone sure. who loves you unconditionally. And what would they say? What would they say about you? And look at yourself that way. Yeah. Yeah. Those kids come up with wonderful things. I'm kind. I'm kind. I'm funny. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. And and, uh, you may have already addressed it because you talked about your daughter and her, uh, you know, being diagnosed with cancer at the age of 12 and you being born with one hand. So that was going to be my question is, what do you say to somebody who says, yeah, I get it, but you've always been this way, Dee. You don't know any different. Right? That is true. This thing happened to me now, and that's what's making me a why me person. Would you say the same thing you said to your daughter? Yeah. I thought so. Uh, I think it would depend on why it happened to them. Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, if there are some things that you can do that are risky, that would cause you to lose a limb. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think so many times, I I don't know if I've ever told you this, Sherry, but, and you can cut this out if you want, but I'm in recovery Mm -hmm. and the serenity prayer comes up so much for me when I really get to a point where I can't decide, um, what should I do? What am I doing? And and I just will say the serenity prayer over Mm -hmm. and over. Mm -hmm. God grant me the serenity to accept the thing I cannot change. Yeah. And that's one thing. If you, you can, there's so much regret involved with being in recovery, but there's also regret for people who look at the past as in having not had a disability before. And so if you have one now, um, that's it, it, it is horrible and it's a big change and it's a very uh, sometimes very visible physical change. Mm-hmm. But I will also say, and this sounds really schmaltzy, but I will say that my disability has given me so many opportunities to see things the way I do and do yes. some of the things I've done and yes. meet some of the people I meet and know people the way I know people that yeah. I I know everyone's, everyone's the same. It's kind of neat being different. (laughs) Well, people remember me. Right. And I think too, like, so I'm going to, I'm just going to expound on this a little bit, right? Because this is not everybody is dealing with a physical disability. There are emotional disabilities and I don't mean ADA identified disabilities. I just mean, I'm using the term disability loosely. Okay. There are things, thorns in our sides, whatever things that we don't have that we wish we did things that we do have that we wish we didn't. Um, right. There are things that each of us have and they could be emotional. They could be relational. They could be physical. They could be spiritual. They could be financial, whatever it is, whatever that we'll just use the term disability. And I hope that's not insulting, but just to. Yeah. Everybody has handicap. Yeah. Okay, great. The handicap. We'll say that. So you have this and what you are saying is this beautiful truth that your handicap is your gateway. It is your, it is your gift to experience not just opportunity, but amazing things that you would not otherwise have experienced it. And so that's, Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the translation for, 
Um, when I tell people that you can thrive, that's it. It's taking that belief that you have, this why me belief, right? And turning it into something that says, no, oh, I get to. I get to be the yes. one that has this, right? Because then this is what it affords me. These are the opportunities it affords me, right? Now, here's my question. And I wish I could talk to you all day about this because you're, this is um, could be on so many different levels. We could dive even deeper into this. But my question for you is, in your work with diversity and equity and, and inclusion, how are you translating your physical disability into working with workplace teams on this issue of compassion? Mm-hmm. Um, I translate it in a way that is, we are all special. We all, every single person in this universe right now, who is ever, and everybody who's ever been and everybody who's ever going to be is unique. Mm-hmm. And we continue to try to compare ourselves to some that's right. Norm, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And the truth is there has never been two uh, two equal identical people ever. Yeah. Ever, even if you're identical twins. So each of us have the ability to have this adventure mm-hmm. that you're the only one that can have. If you yeah. lose your arm today or you lose your hand today, um Yes, your life is going to be different, but it's a different adventure you're going to have. It's a different life you're going to have. And if you can enter it with a curiosity about how to make how to make the best of this and be the best you mm-hmm. as this and bring yourself to that um, and face it head on. It, yeah. it, it is. It, it just is. I can't I can't change it. Um, yeah. I, I have wonderful interactions with little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a matter of having co- that said, there's no such thing as perfect days. We have to have compassion for ourselves. And yes. for, for the moments that I, that I feel energized and positive and waxing philosophical, there are those moments when I think um, it would be so much easier if, but I don't know that it would be if this was different or if this was better. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think this is kind of a, a an anecdote. When I was a little girl, I can remember, I think this goes to our expectations. And I now I know a lot more about expectations and what's mm-hmm. realistic and what's not. Yeah, but I yeah. can remember as a little girl, I grew up and I went to Catholic school. And mm-hmm. every night I can remember going to bed. And praying to God, please, God, let me. And this is this is so this is the truth. Please, God, let me wake up with another hand. <laughs> now, oh, <laughs> you're a little hard. Oh, you know, my and, goodness. And I I think about that and I think, you know, every morning I'd wake up, look down and go, well, there's God again well, letting me down. But when you think about some of the things that we pray for that are so unnecessary, unimportant, and excuse me, but unrealistic, (laughs) I can work in wonderful ways, but he's not going to slap a hand on the end of my arm. He's just not, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So what he was saying to me was, you're fine. You, you are, are how I intended you to be. That's yes, right. You, you are yes, who you're supposed yes. to be. 
And you're where you're supposed to be, which leads me to another quick story. My daughter and I were going through this thing one day where she she lives in Reno. We were calling each other back and forth. She kept calling back and going, but what about, what about, what about? And then we'd talk and she'd hang up. And then she'd call back 15 minutes later and say, well, you know, I was also thinking, and this conversation, and I finally, she answered, (laughs) the phone rang. And I picked up the phone and I say, "Um, you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And this, there was this long pause and this voice said, <laughs> I think I have the wrong number, but I really needed to hear that today. Oh my goodness. <laughs> was it like some complete stranger? Some complete stranger. <laughs> that is sublime. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. That's a God thing. Yeah. Yeah. It you totally know, is. That's the universe telling her through me. Yeah. That, yeah. You're in the right place. That- you're doing the right thing. Can you imagine someone answers the phone like that? And you're like, you're like, like, is this God? Am I talking to God? Like, how did you know I needed to hear that? Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Hey, listen, we're about out of time and I, and I want to, I have three questions for you because I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about this. So tell us about your book, 28 ways to compassion and where we can get it. Okay. Um, My book is 28 ways of compassion and it is basically a workbook. It has 28 days mm-hmm. of exercises mm-hmm. so people can learn to practice and make a habit of compassionate ways. And yeah. I wrote it by studying what compassionate people do and breaking it down. And here's a month of exercises that I'm using with leaders and then individuals and teams and so on and so forth. That's and you fantastic. can get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Okay, so I'm gonna put those links in the show notes for people um, because I love I love the idea. I will say this though, and I don't know if you've ever heard this from another reader. So when I started to read your book and I started to work through it, I felt like I needed more than a day with each thing. I felt like I needed a week to really wow. me- yeah to really meditate on it, to really go and practice it, to really incorporate it and make it become a habit. Um, that uh-huh. was just me, but I could be a slow learner, l- slow learner, D. So that's a great comment because I haven't heard that, but I will encourage people that you have the permission. Mm-hmm. It's called 28 ways. It could yeah. be 28 days for you, or it could be two days on one thing, three on another, one on another. That's a great comment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great good. comment. Good. So here's my other question. So you go in to do work with teams. Hi, Leah. I see you. I'm sorry. My my little hound dog just came in to say hi to me. I see you, baby. Mine's still asleep. He's snoring. I hope you can't hear it. <laughs> so my question is, uh, what type? who's your ideal client? What type of business is your ideal client? And uh, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn more about what you do? My ideal client is someone who has realized or is willing to open to realizing the power of people and connection mm. and the power of making it a practice and a um, something you do every day, all day long, every yeah. hour and minute. And that's a business client, right? That's Somebody a business that has, client. Okay. Yeah. Any yeah. Uh, particular demographics specifically for the organizations that you work with? Uh, I work with all, but my focus, my um, niche is healthcare in particular, because I've, I've worked so much and have so much experience with hospitals of all sizes. Um, and in particular, senior living, uh, assisted living, 
um, things that service seniors, which is okay. a real passion of mine. Older okay. people are cool. That's good to know. Hey, just the, I'm going to put you on the spot with this question really quickly. So in your work that you've done with organizations on, on compassion and, you know, this diversity and ex, in inclusion, not exclusion, inclusion and equity <sighs> is where I was going with ec. Um What's the industry or is there an industry that is the least compassionate that you've seen? <laughs> that needs the most work on compassion. Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say healthcare and yeah. I will say the frontline people I do not have a concern about. I feel yeah. like they're very compassionate, but that tends to burn them out if they don't learn to A, be self-compassionate and yep. B, don't learn boundaries, which is part of what I do. Learning boundaries mm-hmm. within compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that some of the leaders are not compassionate with their staff. Yeah. And the reason that is, is that there's a tendency to promote people in healthcare who are technically have great clinical skills. Yeah. Great clinical skills. So they promote them to a leader, but they do not have um, relationship skills and don't have the things yeah. you need to, to work with people. But boy, like they can compassion. do a blood draw like that, you know, like right. compassion. Yeah. And they haven't been given permission. They haven't been given permission because yeah. I, if I could tell you the number of CEOs that have said, come on in, work with my leaders, work with my staff. Oh, not the senior leaders. We don't need it. And I say, no. Nope. Uh-huh. Yes. You know, if it doesn't start from the top and That's you're right. not hearing and doing what they're hearing and doing, I, I just can't do it. Yeah. That's 100%. That's fantastic. But healthcare, okay. which is ironic, which is ironic. And a lot of people, when yes. they're talking to me about the book, will say, um, healthcare really needs that. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you from um, an ex kind of, well, mental healthcare, healthcare uh, worker, um, I will tell you that the most beautiful, compassionate place I worked in was my pre-doctoral internship in, in Louisiana. Um. I learned the most about myself in that environment. I embraced and celebrated the most about myself because I was treated with that level of compassion and acceptance and understanding of who I am and the specific gifts that I had to offer. Yeah, it was great. And what a great gift. It was a great gift. But then I went to my residency, which I won't say where that was. And it was the most toxic, non-compassionate place. Now, both of these are places where we are being trained you know, as people who care about other people to help people, right, <laughs> to give compassion to other people. But it was just really interesting, the juxtaposition of one place being very beautifully uh, compassionate and the next in the same industry, um, again, healthcare, being yeah. uh, extraordinarily non-compassionate. So yeah. that's why I asked What a that great question. gift to you, though, to be able to see that it does exist and what the difference yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, hey, listen, we've got to close out, but I ask every guest this one last question before we end. And okay. that question that question is, if you could leave the people listening with one truth that you do not want them to ever forget when the show ends, what would it be? I would say for yourself and those around you, always use compassion as your compass. And the word compass is in compassion. 
My friends, I hope after listening to that conversation with Dee and myself that you choose to ask, why not you, whatever it is that you find yourself facing right now and that you do, in fact, choose to thrive. Do yourself a favor and pick up a copy of Dee's book, 28 Ways of Compassion. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Those links are in the show notes, by the way. And hey, do you have a business that could use a little more compassion in your company culture? You'd do yourself a favor and a benefit to your employees by reaching out to Dee and having her come in to consult with your organization to increase the level of compassion in your organization. Hey friends, don't forget that I send out three thriving thoughts text messages per week directly to your cell phone inbox. All you need to do to sign up is text the word thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E to 540-369-2139. Just text thrive to 540-369-2139. I'd love to have you as a part of that community. All right, my friends, until midweek, my next episode with just me where I share a little bit of my heart and a little bit of of what I heard in listening October. Until then, remember to speak truth over the lies so you too can thrive in any and every circumstance.